We're all used to centralized clinical trials. The patients come into a central site to fill out forms, a central site to be monitored, a central site to receive their therapies. What do we need to know when we go decentralized? I'm Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. I'm joined today by Allie Holland. Allie Holland is Executive General Manager for Decentralized Clinical Trials at Medible. Medible is a company that makes the software for running decentralized trials. We're also joined by Stephanie Gonzalez, Senior Vice President, Global, and Head of Biotech Solutions here at Cineos Health. Decentralized Clinical Trials, next on the Cineos Health Podcast. Stephanie Gonzalez, Allie Holland, welcome to the Cineos Health Podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Likewise, we're looking forward to the discussion. Thank you. Stephanie, I know that you're Senior Vice President and Global Head of Biotech Solutions here at Cineos Health. Allie, I don't know your company. So can you tell me what your company is and what you do there? Yes, certainly. Medible is a software technology company expressly designed around connecting patients and clinicians into clinical trials from home or with the choice to participate from anywhere in the world. So really looking at how do we leverage people's comfort with technology now and allow those choices that weren't maybe available before when we were very tied to traditional sites, bricks and mortar sites. That makes some sense to me. So I'm actually a participant in one of the clinical trials for the COVID vaccines, and I have my own record keeping that I have to do in a diary every week. Is that what we're talking about? We're talking about clinical trials that are not always within the sites, but anywhere in the world where people are? That's exactly. Taking the study to wherever our participants happen to be and where they prefer to be and giving them the choice. Some participants may always choose to come into a site and that's great. Others may choose and prefer the option to be able to slot it into their day-to-day activities from home or holiday or anywhere else. And it's really providing that opportunity in a consistent way. And there's a name to this that I hadn't heard before. In fact, I kept messing it up with DTC, which is direct to consumer, but it's not DTC. It's DCT. What is DCT? So DCT is decentralized clinical trials, decentralizing how we choose to do the clinical trial and providing those choices, but centralizing the way in which we standardize and collect information so that we maintain the high integrity of the data collection, but we decentralize the activities and make sure that those choices are available and replicable around the world. So I know one thing that I can do when I'm at home that I don't need to have a centralized place to do it. And that's tell people on my little app, have I tested positive for COVID recently? I can put that in my app and I can send that in. I don't have to come in, physically send something in. I can see that benefit. I don't have to come in. The trial site doesn't have to remain open 24-7 to take my showing up and filling out a form. That can't be the only benefit. Why are we talking about decentralized trials? Well, when we think about clinical trials traditionally, We need patients and participants to come into the sites on a high frequency. And the complexity of studies has increased over the last 10, 15 years. Lots of data around Tufts and Ken Getz report over 70% increase in complexity in the amount of activities conducted within the clinical trial. You imagine that's driving time up. And we want representative populations of people exposed within our clinical trials. And so for people like you and me who are working full time, maybe taking two hours out of our day to go into the site to complete these activities when we could have done them from home would improve the choices that we find a clinical trial accessible and therefore we get a more diverse population representation in our clinical trials. 
I second all of Allie's points, but I would actually expand just a little bit on the diversity element. We may still, in some instances, think of trial diversity as just a benefit, but what we're actually seeing is that tomorrow it could be make or break. Earlier this year, the US FDA updated guidance on the societal need to increase clinical trial participation by underrepresented racial and ethnic populations. So we are seeing that we have to work very closely together with our sponsor customers to make sure that they are proactive and intentional in what they're doing to enable participation from varying groups that have been underrepresented in the past. And we really do see decentralization of trials or hybrid decentralized trials as an option for doing this. If we think about somebody who is able to get to a clinical trial site on a regular basis, that's going to select for people that are working less. That's going to select for people that have a car potentially or have access to transportation. So as we remove those barriers, then we necessarily open the possibility up to get more people into the trial. Is that the idea? Absolutely. And in so doing, giving them options to treatments, for example, cancer treatments that are cutting edge and they wouldn't have access to outside of a clinical trial. So absolutely. Yeah. When you think about cancer treatments, those are really intensive, life-changing treatments for patients. And so if we can give them the choice that maybe every second, third or fourth visit, they can choose whether they want to stay at home. And when they're suffering with chronic fatigue and they're exhausted and they just want to have more high quality time with their family, having that choice allows people to maintain participation in the clinical studies. We had a patient recently at DIA stand up and say they would have dropped out of the study if they had had to keep going every single visit to the site and being able to have that choice to participate via a platform such as Medible really allowed them to stay consistent within the study. And one of the things that, in fact, Ali and I have recently spoken about is the fact that it's a bit of a myth that decentralization of a trial is an all or nothing endeavor. And Ali mentioned every second, every third visit in office versus decentralized. One of the things that we are sure to do is apply a fit for purpose solution, which most often actually means a hybrid approach. So it's not an all or nothing endeavor. It's really what decentralized tactic or tactics make the most sense to reduce the hurdles for the patient, reduce the burden for the site. Actually, we see the site's burden becoming an ever-increasing factor in operationalizing clinical trials in the COVID era. And I won't say post-COVID era, we're not post-COVID yet, but really what makes the most sense. We're not going to throw everything into this. We're going to take a tailored approach and determine tactics that work on a study-by-study basis Again, considering those hurdles and also the final objectives of the trial in terms of data and endpoints and so forth. As we talk about things being purpose-built for the clinical trials, it makes me wonder what happens if, and this is a practical question, if you're handed a clinical trial that hasn't been designed for DCT, can you make it decentralized or can you find pieces to decentralize after the fact Or is it really kind of too late? Do you have to do it from the beginning? Well, it's never too late. Now, I would say in an ideal world, and this is something that Cineos Health actually would strongly encourage with all of our clients because we're happy to participate in early engagement, but you're considering the 
approach that you want to take from a decentralization perspective at the point of even conceptualizing the protocol in the study, but certainly in developing the protocol synopsis and in writing the protocol, you really want to be as proactive as possible for the easiest implementation, the most effective and time efficient. But we certainly can also do that once we're in flight. So it's never too late. And in fact, we often have situations where we find once we do start running a trial, that the hurdles, for example, to patient participation are higher than we anticipated and we have to do something more to reduce them. So we implement decentralized tactics. But again, it's always ideal for us to be thinking about this proactively in advance so that the protocol itself is actually designed holistically considering the decentralized tactics that will be implemented. I'd fully agree with that, Stephanie. And I think there's always the opportunity to apply some of these activities to an existing or ongoing study or a final protocol study. And you think about what that might look like. That could be that we look at a consenting experience remotely so that rather than having to bring all potential participants into the site to screen, if we have an indication such as NASH or Crohn's or ulcerative colitis disease, which have significantly high screen failure rates, that we could help to screen some of those patients at home until the point at which they reach eligibility. And we can share the consenting information with them, maybe via televisit with improved comprehension and knowledge transfer around embedded media and videos so that there's much greater opportunity for our potential participants to really understand what's going to happen in the clinical trials. And they're not having to come into the site to learn all of that, but they're really prepared by the time they come to the site. So it's a high value, high productive activity where we've already removed some of the potential screen failure exclusion criteria that would have maybe made that a wasted visit for the patients. So just thinking about what we're trying to improve and then how we apply that, it's, as Stephanie says, it's always most advantageous to get the maximum ROI when you design that right from inception all the way through. But it doesn't mean to say it's not possible to do that and add to existing protocol designs. So we're going to talk about the myths that people that know something about decentralized clinical trials have. Is there anything else that's basically a major part of decentralizing that I'm not getting with something like this? I can think of a couple, and I'm sure, Ali, you can add. Certainly, when you think of things like wearables, wearable devices, capturing data automatically, that would be another example of a decentralized tactic is implementation of wearable devices and also engagement systems that allow messaging to and from the patient in the study or gamification of data collection. So there are other options, certainly, than those that you described, which are commonly the first things that people think about for sure when they think of decentralized trials. But Ali, I'm sure you can add to that list. Yeah, we would certainly include the sensors and wearables, the ability for a participant to wear a patch or a watch or have a Bluetooth connected device sitting with them means that on their phone application, they get a reminder to say, hey, your blood pressure is due. Could you go and press on button, wear the cuff or make sure you're wearing your watch? And that data doesn't need the patient to enter the results. It's just acquired direct into platform. So the device reads that measurement and 
and then communicates that direct to us and to the site so that the site knows those key biometric informations about their patients in real time. You know, we're running a number of oncology studies and being able to track patients' temperature, blood pressure, key vital signs remotely and know that then the site can be reviewing and saying, yes, my patient's looking stable and they're safe to continue where they are, or that they're able to say, hey, your temperature's going up. Could we have a quick televisit and chat about what's going on and whether we need to intervene or you might be developing infection and let's have a look and see what the next steps would need to be. So that it's really allowing for that real time rather than waiting for the patient to come back into the clinic in 14 days or 30 days to know that information. So now that we understand what DCT is and the scope of activities that are there, what myths do people commonly have about it? Well, I think one of the myths is that in order to successfully implement a DCT trial or a hybrid DCT trial, you need to personally be an expert in that space. But a lot of this is still new for many companies and many individuals. And I think as opposed to just accepting that the concept of implementing a DCT trial is overwhelming and complicated. It's realizing that there are an increasing number of experts out there. Expertise is available, and it's a matter of leveraging the individuals who can help pave the path, but it's absolutely worth the time and effort of a biotech company to search out that expertise and engage it if they don't have it in-house and overcome the hurdle of feeling overwhelmed and a little bit intimidated by what maybe is the unknown for them or something new. But the expertise is out there and growing and available more and more easily within the industry so that they can achieve this important approach. If I could follow up on that, if I were thinking about company leaders and you have your regulatory group, perhaps a regulatory group that's been around for a while, they have a lot of experience in normal clinical trials, but they don't have experience in decentralized clinical trials. It's human nature to try to run from that and avoid it and think of ways it would be a barrier, but it's a whole new world. And so you've got to evolve. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've seen, and I'm going to speak from a very broad operational perspective, it's not even specific to decentralized trials, is that like many other aspects of our lives, even just going to a restaurant and having the experience you had before the COVID-19 pandemic, executing a clinical trial has fundamentally changed. And it's created a lot of problems for us, quite frankly. We have sites that have lower bandwidth and they take longer to get activated. We have patients that are harder to recruit. They're not interested. A variety of reasons that we see greater hurdles to operationalizing our clinical trials. But in that, we have really an opportunity to both convince ourselves to kind of overcome that what you referenced is truly human nature to avoid the uncertain or change when we're not comfortable, but also convince others because we are really at a point where we have to. We have to realize that things need to be done differently and we need to take on the challenge of implementing some things that are innovative and different than the way we've ever done them before, or we won't be able to continue to effectively and efficiently conduct clinical research. Because those hurdles, they were raised, of course, when the pandemic initially hit, but they just haven't lowered to the degree that maybe we would have expected or hoped by now. 
so we're really at a time point where we have to be open and willing and pushing, pushing the boundaries and the resistance of human nature to open the way to an increasing application, a more proactive application of decentralized tactics, if that makes sense. It occurs to me that there is, and this may be a myth, that there would be a huge potential for cost savings if we're not having people come into the office anymore. But I also recognize that when people said cost savings when it came to advertising, it turned out that they ended up doing direct-to-consumer advertising plus clicks, plus Google, plus Facebook, plus all of those. So is there really cost savings or is it just an opportunity to add more, I don't know, complexity, color, and data and engagement to clinical trials and just make clinical trials better, but they cost the same or more. I would maybe look at it from a slightly different perspective than cost savings up front to ROI. We're looking at supporting our biotech clients with bringing their drugs to critical decision points about proving or disproving the hypothesis of a study that a drug is efficacious and safe and helping them to do that faster and more effectively. So as we think about what that looks like in the traditional world, where everything, um, to Stephanie's earlier points, is getting more competitive, more burdensome, and more effort, and therefore driving more time, if we can look at different ways to do that, where we reduce the screen failure rate of patients, we reduce the number of times we have to amend a protocol, we improve the accessibility of patients, so we recruit patients faster, all of that aligns together to improve the overall ROI on the study. We've been working with Ken Getz and the Tufts Institute to really prove that out, looking at a 13x improvement on the ROI on DCT clinical study compared to traditional. That doesn't mean to say that you're not spending money up front to achieve that ROI. So the cash spend across the study may look different, but the value that you're gaining in the clinical drug development end-to-end framework is significant. So if you're getting that 13x increase in ROI, ROI has three components. It has the costs, the cash that goes in, it has the timing, how long it takes before you get a return, and it has the amount of return. And in this case, the amount of return is a few points more on the clinical trial passing versus failing, that there's really nothing else that could be there. I'm hearing you say that on the cost side, maybe not so much. It's not there. So it's timing or the trial has a higher chance of success. Am I understanding it correctly? Yes, and really getting to that success decision point faster. So how do we make sure that we know that a drug is safe and efficacious sooner? And how do we reduce down some of the traditional cycle times within the clinical trial that we're really extending overall drug development times? And is that just because it's electronic capture and more or less immediate That's a factor to it, but also patient engagement, that if patients are better educated up front about what's going to happen in the clinical trials, they are closely monitored, there's real-time decision-making about their progression through the study, and they have a greater sense of engagement in the study, and they don't drop out of the study, then we get to the total data evaluability faster and with more comprehensive data that's more representative of the patient population expected. I think we have time for probably one more myth. And then if we can wrap up with advice that you give to companies that are considering or haven't considered having a DCT, a decentralized clinical trial, and maybe want to understand, should they do so? I think from my perspective, one of the things that we haven't focused so much on today, but is critically important, is really the voice of the patient and the voice of the site in this. 
there's a potential perception that a decentralized clinical trial is reducing the patient's connectivity with their clinicians. And actually, we see it as amplifying. We're providing more accessibility between the patient and the clinician to improve their care oversight, to improve the caliber of data and the real-time oversight and management of patients within the clinical trial. We all know that when a patient comes into a clinical trial, we want them to have a gold standard experience. As a result of participating in that trial, we want them to have a greater healthcare experience than um, in standard. And so by being able to offer them more insights into what's happening with their health over time, being able to really ensure that they feel valued for that participation is one of the key attributes of a DCT and that we're able to provide more support, more framework, and really allow our patients to feel part of that scientific journey that they're helping to support as a result of their participation. And that for the sites, we're looking to reduce down some of the huge administrative burden that we've placed on them over the last number of years with excessive amounts of data collection, maybe even uh, repeating data collection um, into multiple different systems so that the sites become a really administrative hub as opposed to a clinical hub. And so the more that we can do to acquire that digital data and flow it between the systems so that then there's one source of that data that's collected once from source and then shared with all of the other parties in a consistent and secure environment really transforms the effort time involved for those key participants and stakeholders in the studies. Stephanie, the last word, any final myths to dispel and advice that you have for companies looking to be in decentralized clinical trials, DCTs? Yeah, and maybe mine parks back to that topic that I was speaking to before around the intimidation factor, right? Because I think there is at times the myth that we all have to embrace a decentralized approach fully moving forward because it is the future. And we have to be comfortable that at some point we will go fully decentralized. And I think that's actually also a myth swinging too far in the opposite direction. I mentioned this before, but the decentralized approaches should be fit for purpose. And in most cases, really what will be fit for purpose is a hybrid approach. There are clinical trials and types of medical assessments that in the near future will still be done in a hospital or clinic setting complex infusions for a cancer patient or imaging, for example. And so this isn't a situation where we have to strap in because we're going to go fully decentralized and that is the way of the future. So I think it's really getting everyone comfortable with the fact that it's a little bit more of a middle road, but also, as I mentioned before, overcoming the resistance to getting us moving forward to that middle ground. So this isn't an all or nothing endeavor. Well, thank you, Stephanie Gonzalez, Ali Holland. Thank you so much for joining us on the Cineos Health Podcast. Thank you for offering us the opportunity to be here to talk today. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed the discussion today and the opportunity to share some insights with you all. That's all for today's episode of the Cineos Health Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. If you want to talk through a hard decision you're making at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at CineosHealth.com. For access to more future-focused, actionable life sciences insights, visit the Cineos Health Insights Hub at insightshub.health. Cineos Health, shortening the distance from lab to life.